I'm Bonnie Glazer, director of the China Power Project at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C. In this episode of the China Power podcast, we're discussing the increased scrutiny of Chinese investment in the United States and the ongoing discussions in Congress to update the procedures of the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, commonly known as CFIUS. What's behind the growing concern about Chinese investment in the U.S.? What role does CFIUS play? And what kind of changes are being suggested for CFIUS and by whom? And what implications will these proposed changes have for future U.S.-China transactions and bilateral relations? Discussing these issues with us today is Mr. Mario Mancuso, who is Senior Visiting Fellow at the Hudson Institute and a partner at Kirkland & Ellis, where he leads the firm's international trade and national security practice. Mr. Mancuso formerly served as Undersecretary of Commerce for Industry and Security and as a senior Defense Department official. He's the author of A Dealmaker's Guide to CFIUS, which aims to help buyers, sellers, and other interested parties better understand the CFIUS review process. Mario, thanks for joining us today. Bonnie, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. So to begin with, this is a very complex issue, so we're going to try to unpack it here. Why is there growing concern in the United States about efforts by Chinese companies to purchase American companies? So first, I would just clarify what when in the CFIUS context, when we talk about American companies, it can actually be non-U.S. companies. It could be, for example, European companies that have an American piece. And so the scope of CFIUS is quite broad. But I think with respect to your larger question, Bonnie, we're at an inflection point in history. Uh, strategic competition with China has increased. Um, as you well know, um, we I think it's fairly clear that the Chinese government has set forth on an ambitious and purposeful strategy to acquire uh, emerging technologies and know-how. Now that strategy is in part, we think, for many reasons, uh, for domestic commercial reasons, obviously, to continue to grow the Chinese economy. Uh, but we also think it's to enable China to to better equip itself for enhanced strategic competition with the United States. So the inflection point is our security profile is what it is today. Competition is increasing. The Chinese government itself is more focused in this competition. And here we are. And U.S. companies, particularly in uh, technology areas or with specific know-how that will be central to technologies that continue to provide and and that will in the future provide qualitative military advantages to the United States, they're, they're the centerpiece of this discussion. Can you give us a snapshot of CFIUS and its purpose? So what types of foreign investment does it review? And, and why is there a discussion in the United States about updating CFIUS? So CFIUS, I think the best way to think about CFIUS is is that it's one of the tools of an economic national power. It is an instrument of statecraft. It's only one instrument, but it's a very important instrument. So CFIUS is actually, as its name suggests, a committee. It's a committee made up of member agencies of the U.S. government, including agencies like the Department of the Treasury or Commerce, my former agency, agencies which you would ordinarily think have economic or commercial responsibilities, but also national security agencies like the Department of Defense, the Department of State, Homeland Security. And so CFIUS operates very much as an interagency committee. 
But here's the key point. CFIUS administers presidential authority. The president's authority is commander-in-chief. So there are a lot of things that are built into that. Uh, but effectively, I think the key point is, is that it's a national security review body. It's a whole-of-government perspective on transactions. And this is presidential power that the committee administers on behalf of the president and is codified by a statute uh, colloquially known as FINSA, which passed about a decade ago and which we're re revisiting um, with some legislation in Congress now. Um, but I think to your second question about why it needs to be updated, I think those who would propose its update would say that in, in the 10 years since the authorizing statute of, of CFIUS was passed, frankly, the environment has changed. And the, the, the drive for reform and strengthening CFIUS is to ensure that CFIUS, as reformed, would cover any perceived gaps, particularly around emerging technologies and perhaps different transaction structures that, as a technical matter, would not be encompassed in how CFIUS operates today. Is the United States unique in having this kind of committee, or do other countries have mechanisms that are similar to CFIUS? So, it's so there's a development. You know, CIF, probably one of the least reported stories is that you know CFIUS is going around the world, if you will. Other countries are starting to replicate these national security investment clearance regimes. Um, CFIUS is by far, I think, the most advanced, uh, but I think in part that has to do with just the unique nature of the U.S. security profile since the Cold War, right? Um, but other countries, Canada, the U.K. is considering it. Germany just upgraded its regime. France has long had one. Uh, France, Germany, and Italy have uh, written to the European Commission uh, to have it consider whether an EU-wide uh, framework would be appropriate. This is a trend. It's a trend particularly in the, in the, in, in the industrial Western countries uh, who also happen to be U.S. allies. Uh, and a lot of the themes which motivate CFIUS, technological leadership and how technological leadership, frankly, impacts uh, you know, broader economic con uh, considerations, which in turn also have a national security dimension, those themes are present in all of those countries as well. So recently, there's been several high-profile cases of Chinese investment deals that have been um, uh, blocked or frustrated by CFIUS, including, for example, the Chinese-backed firm Canyon Bridge's request to purchase the U.S. Uh, microchip company Lattice. So could you talk a little bit about what other transactions uh, with China have been either withdrawn or rejected? And what are the main reasons for the rejection of investment requests from China? We don't have the most up-to-date data because CFIUS in the ordinary course operates in a confidential basis. So short of the individual transaction parties making announcement or short of, of course, a presidential decision to block which both President Obama and President Trump have, have decided to do in recent years. We don't have much data uh, until CFIUS issues its annual report, which for other reasons typically comes at least a year too late. Um, but in terms of the, the uh, CFIUS's actions on transactions, the way I like to think about it is those transactions that are blocked, which, by the way, is, is very rare. It's only happened four times in several decades. Uh, but here's the kicker. It's happened twice in about two years. So that's, the, that's, I think, a good data point for showing the uptick in terms of the scrutiny that CFIUS is starting to apply. But CFIUS's impact, of course, is far wider. It frustrates deals. You alluded to deals, you know, parties walking away from a transaction. And typically what happens 
when the committee reviews a transaction and the committee comes back after the course of its review and it tells the transaction parties that, hey, uh, you know, we have an issue with this deal. It's an issue that we think we can't mitigate using existing legal authorities. And so we're going to recommend to the president uh, that he block that transaction. Typically, in, in those cases, parties walk away. So a large part of the impact on CFIUS is frustration of transactions. The deals that get blocked are far and few between, in part because it's an extraordinary remedy, and in, in large part because most parties never let it get that far. So some of the transactions, uh, you mentioned one, Canyon Bridge, that was the most recent. There was actually a transaction, an Axtron, an Axtron transaction, which is actually a German company that had a U.S. subsidiary. There was a piece of the German business um, that uh, that was in the United States that was conducting semiconductor-related R&D. And so that was ostensibly the basis for CFIUS's engagement and uh, essentially for frustrating the transaction. So you have semiconductor transactions. Other transactions that have been frustrated uh, are in the mining industry, advanced materials industry, um, energy. There, there have been lots of transactions across industry types and one of the questions I often get, both on a policy level, but also, frankly, as a working lawyer, is, well, how do I know which industry is sensitive? If I showed you a list, Bonnie, of the industries which have been designated as critical by one of the member agencies of CFIUS, that would be the Department of Homeland Security, you would think I was showing you an S&P 500 index fund. That's how broad the reach is. China's leaders have been pushing policies to encourage Chinese businesses to invest overseas. Some of this has been part of their big Made in China 2025 strategy, which is aimed at becoming a leader in, uh, in manufacturing and other areas. Now, what are China's primary investment interests here in the United States? And what are the implications of increased scrutiny by CFIUS for those interests? So it's changed over time. China, China has long invested in the United States. Um, historically, most of that investment has been in the real estate space. I mean, obviously not only. Um, there have always been a smattering of investments in a broad variety of sectors, but historically they've been in fairly straightforward industries, let's call them. Um, in recent years, that's changed. Uh, Chinese companies have had multiple, uh, both completed transactions as well as frustrated transactions in the semiconductor space in the energy industry, again, advanced manufacturing, robotics, artificial intelligence. We also know that the Chinese are keenly interested in, in um, you know, quantum technology, quantum computing technologies. So the interest, I would say, has shifted in recent years, moving into areas that would, I, I'd say, be broadly consistent with the technology roadmaps that the, that the Chinese government, rather, um, has issued as areas of particular focus and priority. The Chinese have expressed uh, concerns about growing U.S. restrictions on uh, these potential investments, um, particularly following the broken deal uh, between China's Huawei Technologies and uh, AT&T. What's been the primary reaction from Chinese investors toward increased scrutiny by um, CFIUS, and what industries have been uh, most impacted? So I think that the principal reaction has been incredible frustration, uh, not surprisingly. Also, I think there's a sense in which uh, that, that Chinese parties feel they're being discriminated against. Now, in a macro sense, I, I don't believe that's true. I think 
it's just in the nature of the U.S.-China relationship um, that it's a more complex one. And so transactions in, in areas that implicate technologies that might be relevant f- uh, in terms of having national security implications, it's obvious why Chinese deals would at least invite greater scrutiny. Uh, but it's important to remember Chinese deals happen today and they still clear CFIUS today. Not every Chinese deal. It's much harder today. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I don't believe the Chinese objection is a fair one. Um, and But it is no doubt true that Chinese deals uh, face a lot harder time getting through the committee today and, frankly, in the last two years. Let's talk a bit about what the proposed reforms are uh, to CFIUS. Uh, there's some legislation that's in Congress. Perhaps you can help uh, explain that. Um, there's uh, proposed reforms uh, through the Foreign Investment Risk Review Modernization Act. So what are the, the biggest proposed changes? Um, and then what are the likely implications that those changes are likely to have for Chinese investments in the future? You know, one of the shocking things about, I mean, shocking just in a way that it's not self-evident, but I think upon reflection, uh, you know, makes some sense is just how broad-based in a bipartisan way the support for reform is. And so it's quite easy to attribute this to the election of a new president, right, or to President's Trump, President Trump's emergence on the political scene in the United States. But the truth is, Broad swaths of Democrats and Republicans around the country support this drive to make CFIUS stronger. Now, they, they, th- those folks may not talk in terms of CFIUS, but will often talk, talk in terms of making the U.S. economy more resilient, in- ensuring that the United- U.S. leadership um, uh, is, is protected and, and enhanced. Um, in terms of the, the legislation, I think a couple of key points are, A, it's bipartisan, and to give you a sense of how bipartisan it is, in probably the year and a half before the legislation was dropped, there had been maybe 20 letters written by both Democrats and Republicans to the Department of the Treasury, which is the chair of CFIUS, which administers in, a, in, a, in an administrative sense the process. Those letters were largely urging the Treasury Department to make a more forceful, uh, to take a more forceful approach with respect to chi- generally Chinese acquisitions. These letters were signed by Democrats and Republicans, and they included signatories as diverse as former Senator Jeff Sessions on the one hand and Al Franken on the other, to just give you a sense of the ideological breadth of, of, uh, of the support on behalf of reform. Uh, but to your specific question, what's, what the new reform bill would do, it would expand CFIUS's jurisdiction. It would purport to review, if passed in its current form, uh, basically non-passive investments. So it uh, currently CFIUS, CFIUS jurisdiction, this is more of a technical point, really relates to control transactions. Will a foreign buyer, in the context of a prospective deal, control, which is a term of art, a U.S. company? The legislation would change that and would, would move away from notions of control to basically non-passive. In other words, it would review, it would purport to review transactions by foreign persons that had anything but a passive interest in a U.S. business. So you can see how the remit would expand. Um, it would also encompass transaction types uh, that are not currently encompassed, so certain joint ventures, right? Um, it would also implement what is now, uh, I think, effective agency practice, but is not uh, explicitly contemplated in the current CFIUS regulations, 
um, and empower CFIUS to look at emerging technology areas. So for example, we in the United States have very fulsome export control regimes, both with respect to defense goods and with respect to so-called dual-use items. Uh, but one of the gaps that has been identified is that not all national security-relevant technologies are actually controlled. They may be so cutting-edge, in other words, that the government may not have had an ability or uh, an opportunity, if you will, to control them. And so the thrust of the legislation is we need to cover down on this emerging technology gap. And so uh, there are some other technical things. The bill actually runs about 79 pages. Uh, but I think the key things are expanded jurisdiction uh, to cover anything but passive investments, um, covering greater types of transactions. Um, and there, there are some provisions in there that would make some um, changes, favorable changes, uh, for friendly countries. In other words, uh, countries that may have defense treaties with the United States, how that would be operationalized, of course, the bill doesn't address. But the general thrust of the reform is to strengthen CFIUS. Um, and frankly, if you think CFIUS is tough today, uh, just wait. How far along are we with the uh, this legislation? When do you expect that it will be passed and then uh, implemented? Is this something that we should be looking for in the coming weeks and months or years? I think I, so first, I'm not sure and, and, and I'm personally doubtful that the legislation as proposed will pass. I do think it's an exceptionally thoughtful piece of legislation. It is no doubt shaping discussions about CFIUS reform. So I think some form of it in due course will pass. I don't think it's, it's weeks and months. I think sometime this year um, is a realistic guess, although in Washington, who knows? Uh, but based on, based on the 2007 experience, um, I would imagine that in due course, when this legislation or some form of it passes, uh, let's call that roughly a year, there will be a similarly long period of time to draft implementing regulations because this is very, very complex. And those, and those regulations will be critical to practitioners, to bankers, lawyers, and frankly, principals, so that they can understand how to navigate what will be new terrain. There's apparently been some criticism of the proposed CFIUS reforms. Uh, for example, uh, General Electric, IBM, uh, for example, have cited concerns that these proposed changes could severely limit investment opportunities uh, between the United States and China. So are these concerns valid? And what then are the potential consequences of the CFIUS reforms for future uh, transactions between U.S. and Chinese firms? I think those are the right questions to ask. Um, I'm not sure uh, at the end of the day that those concerns, or at least some of them, uh, all have merit. Um, you know, there's no doubt that open investment benefits the United States and other countries. It's important to attract uh, foreign investment. And um, frankly, I hope the administration makes it clear that the United States is still open for business. We should, under every circumstance, try to attract the maximum amount of benign foreign investment. But there are transactions um, which uh, may, you know, may raise real dangers. And I think, the, I think the United States, the government in particular, has a unique duty um, to ensure that in the current security environment, uh, in as tailored and streamlined a way as possible, that it is reviewing transactions that may raise a threat to the United States. 
The challenge, of course, is how do you do that without deterring benign foreign investment? That's, of course, a, a challenge that uh, the U.S. has, I think, addressed before, and it will continue to be a challenge. But that's the needle that policymakers need to thread under, new, under the new, uh, frankly, macro circumstances we find ourselves in. I know, obviously, we're focusing on China, but are there other countries, um, companies from other countries that are going to be very concerned about these new reforms? Or, or is this really primarily a problem for Chinese companies? So I think I, um, I think this is primarily, I mean, China is in a category of one, uh, but it is not certainly nominally, and it will not only impact uh, uh, Chinese companies. In fact, one of the themes that CFIUS has looked at um, you know, recently is indirect exposure to China. So, for example, if there is, let's say, a French company, just to use a notional example, uh, that has unrelated extensive, you know, operations in China, one of the things CFIUS is doing today is looking at how the acquisition of a given U.S. company by that French company, by virtue of this indirect exposure to China that the French company has, how, if at all, that might present national security risk. So while this is all about China, in effect, the effective reach of China is broader in light of how CFIUS thinks about threat vectors from China. So I do think this will impact other companies, other countries. I do think one of the um, one of the ways in which the legisla legislation tries to address that is by at least contemplating the possibility that uh, companies and persons from friendly nations, again, uh, let's call them treaty allies, will be given preferential treatment. Um, one of the things that I think the U.S. government will have to think through is this implied assumption that where you come from is the best proxy for the degree of threat you present. We know that threats today, that geographic borders aren't necessarily the best proxies for where threats arise. They're helpful in the form of states, uh, but I think you have to go a little bit deeper. Looking forward, how should the United States prepare to conduct its economic relations with China amid uh, what is clearly intensifying strategic competition? while at the same time protecting its national security interests? That's an immensely, immensely important question. It's also an incredibly hard one. But however it's done, I think the United States has to essentially revisit the arithmetic of the relationship. I don't mean that in exclusively in financial terms. I think the United States government has to have a much keener and systematic appreciation of the nature of the relationship, what the relative benefits are, what the relative costs are, again, broadly considered. Um, and I think it always has to act in, in first and foremost in the interest of the United States uh, to the extent that that could encompass, obviously, uh, the legitimate interests of other countries. That's important too. But it all starts with knowing what are our interests and how can we try to seek them, how can we seek to pursue them in the most constructive way possible? Um, that, that's obvious, but given our ascendancy in the world stage for as many years as we've been ascendant, I'm not certain that that keen and systematic uh, uh, taxonomy has always been developed versus just assumed. Great, um, thank you so much. 
We've been talking with uh, Mario Mancuso, who's Senior Visiting Fellow at the Hudson Institute and a partner at uh, Kirkland and Ellis, uh, recently written a Dealmaker's Guide to CFIUS. Thanks for being with Thank us Thank you today. so much, Bonnie.